Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stats, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today, we have two guests for you, the best friend duo of Aminatou So and Anne Friedman. Aminatu and Anne are the hosts of the Call Your Girlfriend podcast, and they're the authors of a brand new book on friendship called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. As a reminder, everything we discuss on today's episode can be found in the show notes. Before we get to Anne and Aminatu, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the Stacks Pack, the people who make this show possible by contributing monthly to our Patreon and putting their money where their mouth is. And in exchange, they earn perks and inside access to this show. To join the Stacks Pack, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. This week, I'm saying an extra special thank you to Rachel Blumenfeld, Kelsey Eckberg, Caitlin Sowers, Candace Cisneros, Vicki Priebel, Sarah Hauer, Christy Nelson, Emily Reddy, Deb Weintier, Sarah, Lily Herman, A. Lakin, Cassandra Fugel, and Madison Flores. Thank you all so, so much. All right, let's get to my conversation with Aminatou So and Anne Friedman. All right, everybody. I am here with Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman, the authors of Big Friendship. Ladies, welcome to the Stacks. Oh, thank you for having us. Hi, Tracy. Hi. I'm really excited for a lot of reasons, which I will share with you both now. One is that I'm sure everyone says this to you. Your book reminds me of my big friendship with my best friend, but my big friendship with my best friend, Claire, is also an interracial friendship. So I was really excited to have you guys on and we can talk about what that's like kind of from the inside because I know a lot of interviews you do, it's like, why is it important that you have a black friend? You know, so I'm excited to actually like dive in. Um, But we'll start where we always start, which is in 30 seconds or so, Tell us about the book. Okay, is the clock starting now? <laughs> yeah, the, the clock starts whenever you want it 30, to. 29, 28. <laughs> I immediately start sweating, like knowing. <laughs> I love also that my idea of a countdown is to count the clock down and not up. Okay. Um, no, that makes sense. Is we're running out of time. In fact, we are. You running guys are out of at like eight right seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and goodbye. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Big Friendship is a memoir of um, our friendship, um, and uh, it also has, you know, some expert interviews and some pop psychology, uh, you know, like uh, like asides, and uh, we're, we were very excited to write it together. And I think we're really hoping that um, it is a prompt for people to um, think about and invest in their own friendships and also on a bigger picture level for us all to figure out how we can elevate friendship on a cultural level and a societal level to the place of importance that it should really have. Right. Because one of the things that was really interesting about the book is that there's not a lot of research out in the world or a lot of people out in the world talking about friendships in a kind of, I guess, quote unquote, serious way. I was just going to say, I think that it was this book kind of opened my eyes to that idea. Like I'd never thought about how come I've never read anything about friendship before? Did you guys kind of have that experience when you sat down to write the book? Like, where's the research? Like, what can we pull from? I mean, I think that when we sat down to write the book, we were very excited to pull from the research. I don't think that we quite understood how little of it there was that was relevant, you know? Yeah. Um, Because so much of just like our own natural curiosity is to always, you know, where we like love to look at studies. We love to, you know, like I'm like, we love facts in this uh, in this relationship um, more than feelings, which is uh, how we get in trouble. But, (laughs) you know, I like I. I was really excited when we started, you know, at the top of this process being like, yes, like we're going to get to write this, like, you know, have this like narrative arc and really, you know, like flex my writing muscle in that way. But I was also really excited to actually do the research. And I, you know, like on this very nerdy level, I was like, yes, a book with a bibliography. I am so excited. <laughs> and and then you start looking at the sources and you're like, what? Like all of these studies are, you know, like there's like seven students in a Hong Kong boarding school. Everyone (laughs) is like deeply focused on, you know, like very young children of a certain age. And a lot of the bigger questions that we were asking ourselves, it was really hard to find um, to, to like find anywhere where academia was taking that seriously. And I think that the thing that was like exciting about that, though, is that I think that for me, at least, it really helped reframe a lot of just like shame and lack that I had, you know, of just like, Oh, mm. maybe, maybe I'm just not a uniquely bad friend. Maybe it is true that <laughs> as a society we are, um, you know, we're just like not really investing in, um, in this relationship and in this institution in the way that we should be paying attention to it. Right. Did you guys find that there was a difference in America versus other countries on how they deal with friendship and how they think about friendship or or was it kind of across the board? You know, our friendship um, is really founded in and like in some ways rooted in a U.S. cultural context. And the book <laughs> is not um, a global survey of the ways all sorts of people and cultural cultural experiences um, are affecting friendship. Um But that said, so I really, I don't have anything smart to tell you in terms of like, you know, differences (laughs) country to country, but I will say that I am, I am very much interested in it. And, um, and, you know, along with all of the other gaps in research, we found like, uh, this, this was a big one. And I think in part because, um, it's, it's so understudied, it's not like you're comparing data sets in different countries. It's like, um, or, or in different places, it's like the, they're just lacking, you know, across the board. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I listened to you guys on a bunch of other podcasts 
as part of research, but also I happen to love Sam Sanders. I happen to love Keep It. I happen to love Bad on Paper. So it was sort of like, oh, I'm researching, but I've actually already listened to a lot of these. But one of the things that I think it was on Sam Sanders' show you guys talked about was he asked about gender and about men friendships versus female friendships. And I noticed that the book is under women's studies on Amazon. What do you think that's about? Oh my God. That is about, and what's that word called? Remember the, the publishing word? Oh, the bisec, the bisec. Yes. The bisec, that thing. Um, yeah, like it's a, it's a big scam basically. Yeah. Of like where do books like live and, uh, you know, and like publishers like at their own discretion, like get to decide where the book lives. I, I will say that like personally, um, you know, for the two of us, we, one big conversation that we, we had like throughout the writing and the selling of this book and then the promotion of this book is that. It was really important to us that it was not like solely couched under like, you know, friendships about women, because the minute that you do that, it has implications like across the board. Right. So. So, you know, so I feel um, I like I definitely feel some type of way about it, but I, I think that, um, you know, it it's also like the context of that is larger than just like, how do we both feel about it? You know, there are all these other weird like publishing isbn forces at play for for right. how that plays out right um you know but i very much like when we sat down to write this book we knew that that was a you know that was like a part of the shelf that they would try to push us into and we understand why like culturally and also for like you know like book marketing purposes but that is something that like we are resisting through and through and through again like even in the book we write about our big friendships with men right you know and with people who are not women and uh it is it's it's frustrating but i think that it also like prompts this larger question for me like which i hope that like as a culture we are all asking that is why like even for a relationship that is not taken as seriously as it could why are women the only people who are afforded to really have um that kind of level of emotional investment you know and sam sanders asked about this like so much and i know that he talks about this um a lot you know like on his show and and um and and it's a question that i think really 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 needs to be answered because friendship friendship cannot be the province alone of women like if we were saying that it is a life affirming relationship that has you know deep consequences for your well-being and for your wellness then we want that for everyone right and it's interesting i'm sure you know sexism of course or misogyny plays into this that this idea that women are the holders of friendship or they're the only ones that can have these deep major friendships and then also there's this lack of research. And I think that those things must be connected, right? Like in some in some way, there's some connection between the fact that we think that this is a quote unquote woman's area and that it's something that is not worthy of study or, you know, scientific backing sort of thing. Yeah. And it's also an, an area that's outside the kind of like, you know, hetero nuclear family like patriarchal mm. structure that like you know we because we do not prioritize friendship on a level of like paperwork and politics and like the ways that we have kind of agreed upon as a society to to let people indicate who's important to them like friendship is shut out from that by and large and um and in some ways like that's one thing that's so great about it it gives it a lot of radical potential 
And on the, on the flip side, it is something that has led it to be really devalued. And I think you're right that this sense that, um, you know, maybe it is, um, somehow feminized to have emotionally deep relationships with people who are not your family or not your spouse certainly, certainly plays into that. And, you know, we, we interviewed the, um, feminist historian, Stephanie Kuntz in the book, who talked a little bit about the ways that perceptions of friendship and expectations for what role it should have in your life have been shaped by the broader norms about family and marriage, because those have, you know, throughout um, U.S. history been been primary and um, everything else has been has been peripheral. And so um, that was extremely illuminating. And, you know, you like to think that just because you don't hold those values, you are exempt. But the truth is, like, we are all subject to to the way society is organized in this kind of top-down way and have to really fight against it. Yeah. Okay, I want to shift a little bit to the actual writing of the book. I'm curious, how did you guys start writing? Because you wrote together, the book has a collective voice, which I think is really awesome. And I don't think I've ever seen it pulled off in as as well as you guys did, or even ever at all in this sort of way. So I, I'm curious kind of how you sat down to start writing the book. And then you guys are a long distance relationship. So I'm curious how you guys wrote, if you wrote it apart, if you guys got together, if you had a Google Doc going, I know you're both very organized. So I'm just sort of curious about the actual writing process. Oh man, this whole book brought to you by Google Drive. Um, <laughs> it was it was frustrating at times. It was not at not like frustrating is like truly under uh, like it is really underplaying it. Okay. Anytime Google Drive had an issue, I wanted to jump off a bridge. But um, you know, I'm also just I'm like if anyone is listening to this who knows of like good collaborative software for writers, like please tell us. Mm. Otherwise, I'm putting that on the roadmap of things that we're going to work on one day. It is really hard to work with someone just outside of the logistics of the two body problem. Like it's just hard to do it even via the technology. Mm. Um, but largely, we wrote the book together, like in the same place. And yeah, we don't live uh, we don't live in the same city, so we had had to make some time for. You know, we had to make some time to go away together. And the first time really that we ironed out the kinks in the process was when we were working on the proposal because we like we had to submit all of these materials, including a sample chapter. Mm. And and that was really the first time I think that we were we were really trying to to figure out like what a process could be where um, where this could work. And so a lot of our um, you know, we've talked about this uh a lot so I'm sorry if it's repetitive and boring <laughs> but so much of our so much of our process just like involved outlining together like extensively and that just usually means like talking 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 forever um which is um always my favorite part of the process <laughs> <laughs> and um uh yeah it's like you know talking talking through it and then we would go um separately and write to that outline usually like you know we were like in the same house or in the same room sometimes the same table what you know however however you need to get the words out just get the words out and then we would come back together we'd give each other usually either a word count or we would have a time limit Okay. Depending on what the workload was um, for that week or that session or whatever, and then come back together, read out loud to each other what we had written, and then start the process of knitting together those two versions into one coherent version. How long did it take you guys 
to write the book? Um, I mean, this was the main thing we did in 2019. (laughs) Um, (laughs) there was, there were, there was definitely some work in, in writing the proposal and kind of the big picture framing of it that we did, um, in 2017 when we first started thinking about it and in 2018 when we um, wrote the proposal and sold it. Um, but yeah, most of the work in 2019. And then we had a feverish week of revisions at the very beginning of this year, which was like seven work weeks crammed into one. So it's really hard to answer questions about time when it comes to a process like this. It's like, we've been thinking about it forever. And also, also the answer is kind of one year. (laughs) Okay. So what about the writing process came easily for you guys versus, I mean, you've outlined some of the things that were really challenging and frustrating, but what stuff was sort of like wow, we really, we nailed that. No problem. <laughs> I, I wish, I wish I felt that way about anything in my life. Seriously. Um, I will, I will say that, you know, that writing the, the more like, um, you know, the high level idea stuff that came a lot easier than writing the narrative parts okay. for me, at least where it's like, okay, like writing about ideas, I can do this for days. Right. Um, you know, the, that that part of it or or really just like coming up with some you know like a cohesive um like kind of rubric for how we've been thinking about it and you know and i think that that that's due to a a couple of things like one um we've been talking to each other about these ideas for a long time so just finally sitting down to put them on paper was also it felt like very cathartic Mm. um But I think that for me also just like the way that my brain is organized and the way that I, you know, that I think it's like that stuff is a lot easier to tap into than, um, you know, like uh, than the narrative parts. And so that was a little bit more of a challenge, but it was they were both like really fun to do. Yeah. And I think in general, we um, we the last half of the book was less revised than the first half of the book in part Hmm. because we got better at this weird writing style (laughs) this weird joint writing style we have but also i think because we were um in some ways more excited to tell the story about the hard parts because it felt like less explored territory and and while we knew the parts that about the early stages of our friendship um and about the early stages of friendship generally were important to include i think you know, we got a lot of feedback on early drafts that those first couple chapters were clunkier and harder. And then the book really started to find its stride in the middle. And so the frantic revision week that, that I mentioned in, in early January was us completely tearing up and redoing the intro and first um, three chapters, four chapters. Interesting. Yeah. That's really, I I think that's really interesting. One of the things that, um, you guys talk about it in the later half. I don't know if this is a spoiler. I think it's in the introduction that you guys sort of have a part of your friendship that gets rocky and you sort of lose touch with one another. And it's sort of awkward between you two and sort of just like a, a bad, a bad situation. I don't know. It's just not, not the best times of your friendship. And that sort of is what you're talking about that makes up the second, like the lat the latter part of the book. And I'm curious if, getting vulnerable about your friendship and public about that part of your friendship has carried over at all into your podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Because on Call Your Girlfriend, you guys aren't nearly as you know, vulnerable about, about the interior of your relationships and your feelings. So I'm wondering if that, of writing about it and putting it out in the world has changed at all how you approach that stuff on your podcast. That's such a good question. You know, I think that part of why 
we're not vulnerable on the podcast is that it's not like um you know like it's not a gab fest where we just like right. talk to each other about each other's feelings i think that ever since the like part of why we were excited about making a podcast was not to um you know like been like i'm not trying to get on a microphone and just like overshare everything about what's going on <laughs> with me um it really was about like talking about these ideas that we find interesting you know so i like that's always something that I I'm always like fascinated by because I think that there is just this expectation that when two women are talking to each other they're just like gossiping about you right. know, like boys and clothes or like the insides of how they feel and I'm like no like some of us legitimately like talk about books and we you know like we talk about policy and we talk right. about whatever so I don't feel a pressure to like you know be more vulnerable there but I will say that some of the conversations that we have on the show I think are actually very vulnerable like we you know like we for the first like consistently for the first two or three years of our show we had a menstruation update <laughs> you know where that like involved us like talking about our own menstruation like one of our most popular episodes is uh an episode that we do about poop you know and uh you know we talk about our money all of the time i'm like is that not vulnerable right so it truly is you know i think that 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 just like depends um, but part of why we wanted to write a book is because the podcast is not the right venue to, to, to you know, to, to explore all of the things that we wanted um, that we wanted to write about in the book. It's just not the correct format. And we are people who, you know, like we think about that all the time where it's like, OK, like here's an idea I want to explore. Where is the best place to do that? Mm. Um, even the summer right now, we're, you know, we, we've been like very closely doing um, episodes for this series that we're calling Summer of Friendship, where everyone is pegged to a chapter of the book. And, you know, I'm like very proud of that work. And I'm very good. Of, uh, I'm, that, I feel very good about that work. But it does not have the same effect and um, does not have the same resonance as actually like reading it in a book. Right. Right. That's a great point. Um, I listened to a lot of the book on audio and it's such a good audiobook. You both narrate, you bring in voices of the researchers and other people that you talk to about their friendships. How did that idea come to you guys doing it in that way as opposed to either having an outside person read the whole thing or just the two of you? Because it is sort of podcast-ish. Oh, uh, thank you for asking us about the audiobook. <laughs> I really... <laughs> finally, finally. Finally. We've done so many interviews and no one wants to talk about it. We want to talk about it. Um, I am obsessed with the audiobook. I am a yeah. new mom of twins. And so bring like sometimes it's really hard for me to read everything because I just don't have the time to have my hands holding something. But I made so much baby food while I was listening to your book because I didn't want to <laughs> yes. stop and have to deal with the baby. So I was like to my husband, you deal with them. I'm going to do baby food. And I think I did like four hours of baby food listening to you guys talk. And so I, I'm a huge fan of the audiobook. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it poses a little bit of a problem, this voice that we adopt in the book, um, because it, we definitely didn't want um, just one of us to read it. And we didn't, we wanted it to feel like both of our voices were a part of it, you know, um, in mm -hmm. the way that both of us are truly invested 50-50 in the ideas and um, prose in this book. And, uh, and so we, but we also didn't want to read about ourselves in the third person, <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right. you know, the idea of being like, Anne felt bad is just like my skin crawls saying, saying that out loud. Um, right. And so we kind of devised um, this way where 
um, not in every single sentence, but by and large, um, I read the parts that are Aminatu specific. Aminatu reads the parts that are Anne specific, and then we divide up the we parts between us. And then, yeah, as you say, um, we use interview clips um, or incorporate the voices of the experts we talk to, in part because I always just love to hear people in their own voices. Like, um, you know, a great example is our friend Dio, who introduced us. Uh, it's there's something special about not just reading her words, but like hearing the way she speaks them. And it just seemed like an audiobook is such a great opportunity to add this layer where it's not just like, hello, a straight read of the book, but, um, you know, allowing for there to be a soundtrack and some like different level of like emotional experience through that and and hearing these voices. It just seemed um, it was just exciting to us. Yeah, it, it, it's pulled off beautifully. I think the audiobook, it's just a, it's a really good example of the potential for of audiobooks. I think sometimes, especially um, nonfiction audiobooks can be really dry. And there's this idea that people want to listen to that. And as someone who listens to a good amount of audiobooks, this was exciting and fun and fresh. And so I'm I'm really grateful for you guys taking the time to think about the potential of what this book could be for listeners. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. 
And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. One of the things that you guys are sort of famous for, aside from your book and your friendship and your podcast, is this idea of shine theory. So will you guys kind of explain it briefly to the audience? And then I have a few questions about it. Shine theory is the operating principle of our friendship where really early on we just started telling each other, I don't shine if you don't shine. And, um, you know, part of why I think it is resonating so much with people is that it's a practice that so many people already have in their lives. Mm. You know, this idea that instead of competing with people, you're actually going to just collaborate with them and that you are going to pool your resources together to, um, you know, to accomplish like the things that you want to accomplish in life and that and they don't just have to be along professional lines. Right. I'm wondering as someone who, you know, I think, I think a lot of people, um, especially probably women and other people who are in marginalized groups have found that shine theory is something that they rely on as a means for survival, especially, you know, definitely professionally. And I'm wondering if I should say it this way for myself, I sometimes struggle because I am a competitive person by nature. Like I like to compete with myself and with others. And sometimes it's hard for me to remember that I I can't do it unless I have people with me who do it with me and help me and show me the way and answer my questions and that I turn around and reach reach out and help them in return. So I'm wondering the ways that you guys have struggled with practicing Shine Theory or if you have at all. I have to be honest that like it is not like a a struggle for me personally to mm-hmm. practice shine theory because I am not, um, th- this idea that, that I love that you said that you were competitive <laughs> in that way. And you said, you know, you were like, I'm competitive with myself and I'm competitive with others. Um, that was, that was like a thing that it's when I started going to American school, I was like, the kids here are like, why? It's just like, <laughs> just this, the, the rat race. That's like a, a commentary on like American culture. I'm like, I'm not quite ready to unpack, Okay, but I like, you know, the competing, like, but I think that it's important to like distinguish like who you are competing against. Right. right. And so competing with yourself, I'm like, absolutely. Like I am doing that all of the time competing with others not so much like an instinct that I have. And I don't think that it's like rooted in a virtue. I think that it is like, it is like a different cultural context. And Mm. some of it is also like, it's like a different kind of trauma. Right. So I want to offer that up. But in the book, we give this example of um, this um, uh, Olympic uh, marathoner, um, uh, Shalane Flanagan, who is quite literally an athlete right anytime people talk about competition i'm like are you an athlete or not (laughs) and um you know and she practices shine theory she in fact has like she you know like she invented her own competition instead of like going to run against men she was like no i want to run against more women and i'm going to train them all of those women are her competition and they're all better for it you know like yeah her she she like she brought her entire cohort so i think that I really this like this concept of like you know it's like like what is competition for and what does it do? I think that saying that you want to practice shine theory, you know, it doesn't mean that like people are not in the pursuit of excellence all of the time. Right. I think that it really is about putting into putting into contrast, like you know, like what are you competing against? And for me, I'm like I'm trying to compete against capitalism and like the white hetero patriarchy right. because those things are like <laughs> that is like total bullshit. 
you know? And so I think that like once you frame it that way, it it becomes like less of a question of like, you know, like am I envious of what my friends have? And that is, you know, I'm like, yes, like I have found myself envious of, you know, like other people's status or opportunities they've had or whatever. But the reason that it doesn't sting as much or that it does, it's not as consuming is that in the framework of shine theory, you know, instead of stewing about that, you decide that that's information for what you want for your life and you feel free to ask them about how they got there. Right. Right. No, I think that's such a great point. I, the competitive thing, I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm like, gosh, what trauma is that from? <laughs> it's true because I, I know, I mean, I definitely am a competitive person. You know, I think some people are just more motivated by that. You know, like when I go out on a run, I do a thing that I call hunt, which is I find strangers that are ahead of me and try to catch up to them. Like, it's, oh my God. it's, it's just like, that's like what motivates me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just one of those people. Like I, you know, that's just who I am. But I think that at least for me, it's part of like, uh, getting part of practicing shine theory for me is releasing the scarcity model that we've been taught mm-hmm. so much in our lives, especially as, like I said, people who are in groups that aren't, you know, white, cis, hetero men. Um, and so I think like that the scarcity mar- model versus the shine theory is something that I have to deprogram in myself, you know, in my competitive nature. It's like, okay, remember we can't all, you know, be, we can't all be great if we're like fighting amongst ourselves, you know, we've got to lift each other up. And, you know, so it's just an interesting thing when I think about it, because it's something that I want to practice in theory at all times, but it's something that I catch myself being petty, you know, and being like, that's not, that's not great. You're not helping right now. You know, well, it's so. also the difference between feelings and practice, right? Like, right, or, right. Or sort of what you are experiencing in your own head versus like what you are doing in collaboration with people. It's like, you know, for me, like seeing someone running ahead of you and being like, I want to, I want to catch up to that person and beat them. Like that's an experience you're just having alone, you know, like that's not, like I don't run past them and say like, fuck you guy. Yeah. You're not like (laughs) clubbing them at the knees as you go by and being like, you know, actually taking them out. At least I don't think that's what you're implying. Um, and I think that that, that, that's why we really take pains to stretch that it, or to, to stress that it is a practice and Mm. that, um, you know, you get to choose what you do with the feelings that you have. And so it's less about saying, you know, I'm never going to feel jealous again, or I'm never going to feel motivated by competition, but it is saying like, okay, well, what is the action I actually want to complete in the world? Right. Have you guys, um, or have you both noticed a difference in the way that you're seeing shine theory practice either for yourselves or in your circles of friends? in this moment of coronavirus and also since this resurgence of people paying attention to racism in America, has there been any change in your communities? I don't know. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, who's my community? My community is Anne. <laughs> we only talk to each other now. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. My, my community is like very, cons- my community is like very consistent. Um, so no, like I'm not, um, I guess, no, I would say that it, it, yeah, I'm not noticing that, you know, I, I just like want to go back to like one tiny thing too, that you had said, because it's sparking me to think about something else. You know, I think that part of the, you know, part of the issue of, of shine theory is that people think that it also means that you are rooting for everyone. You know, I think about Issa Rae being like, I'm rooting for everyone black. And 
um, at whatever that award show was. And I was like, yes, she was saying that she was rooting at everyone, for everyone black at the Emmys or whatever the award was, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm like, I'm not rooting for everyone black all of the time. Right. You know, I'm like, black people also do mediocre things. Like, that's fine to say that out loud. But I think that there is just an expectation that you are just like, neutering like every ambition that you have and that you're elevating like every single you know like person in the world part of shine theory i think is like remembering that you are talking about people that you are accountable to right so it's like people who are already in your network it's people that you know and it's people that you are trying to build together it's not just this like nebulous other in general right it's not anyone who just slides in your dms yeah i'm like it's not like everyone who says that they're from a marginalized group i'm like guess what like sometimes like like we are not amazing and right. that's fine right um i'm just you know i'm like we're just trying to make a world where um you know like people from marginalized groups can also be mediocre and like fail upwards i was like i would love that yeah um yeah. <laughs> it's not a big, same and it's not a big deal whatever that bella abzug like schlemiel quote is i always think about that all the time um but yeah so like back to your question i don't know that i am personally like noticing that it's being practiced like differently in my community but i think that like part of you know coronavirus is like actually a frame of like the scarcity is like very much um it is very exposed right now right like you just like you see it you know and i think that i like I strain to to like see who can even do okay in this moment if you are not someone who is um generous to your community because you expect them to be generous with you at the same time you know yeah like it is really i think it is really calling on all of us to just take stock of what your resources are you know and and uh you know i'm like i'm not trying to be the people who are like hoarding toilet paper all the time i am trying to (laughs) you know i'm like trying to make sure that we all have enough for the next week and and so, in, you know, I'm like, in that sense, like, I feel that, you know, in my community, we are thriving. Yeah. But it's a, it's a tough moment. I, I've also been thinking about the ways that it sort of forces, in a way that a lot of distance in relationships does, forces a more explicit conversation than, than you might otherwise be having. And I'm mm. thinking about the ways that, um, you know, people who might have considered each other family even though the designation was legally friend have Hmm. like been able to form pods or like be more like intentional about the way that like life is actually structured um or the way that um you know discussing with friends like oh like this is what i'm comfortable with right now in terms of like my safety or this is what i need in terms of social interaction like where are you Hmm. at what can i do for you there is something where because you are not in the day-to-day and because you are not like you know just inferring things from behavior um that things have to be put into words and and made like the social contract i guess is is sort of more explicit for some of these relationships and that's a little bit different than shine theory but i do think that um it's something that i've i've noticed and appreciated and benefited from right right that's a great point sort of communicating and our our levels of comfort and what's okay and kind of talking to people in ways that we definitely or at least I definitely was not previous to this, like being explicit in that, in those kind of communications. That's a great point. 
I'm getting frustrated because I have like a million things I want to talk to you guys about. And I also have a million other things that I want to talk to you about. And I'm like looking at all my questions being like, how are we going to make this happen? I'm like, I have so much I want to talk about. I just going to land the plane. You're going to land the plane. We're going to make it happen. I'm I'm definitely going to have to miss things. But I do, I mentioned this at the top and I do want to talk about sort of the being, being part of an interracial friendship because as someone, like I said, my best friend is a white woman and it's not something that I had ever really thought about. I grew up in the, um, in Oakland, in the Bay Area, which is a place that is, you know, notorious for having lots of, you know, interracial families and, and friends and all of this stuff. And so it wasn't something that I ever really thought about. I've had plenty of friends of different ethnicities. So I'm sort of curious. And this question is, I guess, more directed at you because of your, um, where you grew up. Was it something that you, was was becoming best friends or big friends with Aminatu, was that something that you were consciously like, oh, I now have a very close black friend? Or was it something that, you know, I know that sounds like, kind of like a weird question, but I am curious about it, especially in this moment where so many people are using this line of like, I'm just now learning about racism. And I put all that in major air quotes. I'm just curious what that was like if that was if that was like anything for you i just i'm curious is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i mean we're now talking about 11 years ago when we met and so mm-hmm. i can i will fully own up to the fact that i i don't know how accurate i can be about like what my internal dialogue was about this stuff way back when but i i will say that when i reflect on it and and what i remember is um is actually like feeling so excited that um i felt like we were so similar um, and, you know, mm. we write about this in the book where like, yeah, you could, you could write for an hour and still not list all of the differences between us and right. you know, starting, starting with something as profound as, um, race. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I obviously like knew that Aminatu is a black woman, like when we became friends, but right. the sense of like, oh goody, I have a black friend or something like did not like that is not a thought or a framework that I had. Um, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. I mean, I think it was really, um, if anything, I think my experience in the early days of our friendship was almost the other direction to, Hmm. to the detriment of our friendship and to the, and, and like, you know, to the detriment of my own behavior in our friendship, which is to say that, um, I really allowed myself to believe that we had such similar experiences in the world, even though I would, I was very aware, um, of, you know, race and racism in this, in this bigger picture way. I was able to hear stories about what she experienced out in the world and sometimes witness it firsthand and say like, aha, that is anti-black racism. But Hmm. in terms of how do the difference, the, the racial differences in our experiences lead us to behave differently within this friendship, um, I, I think I was, was very ignorant about that and perhaps even willfully ignorant about it. Like just wanting so, right. so much to have like the specifics of our friendship feel, um, feel special or feel separate. And, um, and I don't know what I would have said if you had asked me back then, like, what do you think it means that, um, that for Aminatu to be so close to you, a white person, like, I, 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 I don't, I really truly can't tell you because I also think that, I, um, I have really grown and learned and changed a lot since then. Um, in, in large part from, from, you know, I've benefited from, I mean, not to explaining herself or explaining her experience. And so 
I don't know. Um, that is a very long winded way of saying it's hard for me to tell you, but I definitely did not view it as some kind of like triumph that, right. that we were of different races or I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of a weird question. And I have to be honest, when I was preparing for this interview, I wanted to, I want to talk about this part of your relationship, but it's actually some, I, the way that I approach a lot of my interviews is just to kind of be generally curious and to ask questions that I'm interested in hearing the answers for. And this was the one part of your book that as someone who has, been living in a, I guess, interracial big friendship was something that I was having a hard time figuring out what my questions were for you about this. And I wonder, you know, I don't know, there's not really a question there, but it's a, it's a difficult thing because when you're in the relationship, it's hard to understand what it might mean for people around you. I don't even know if that makes sense. Um, but that's what I was sort of grappling with in preparing today. And I don't know. I don't know if you guys have even noticed that people have received either of you differently because of your friendship with one another. Is that something that you've experienced? I mean, I just want to say that I appreciate you asking that question because it is something that I am always curious about, you know, and and I think that it's fair to say that a lot of black people are curious about mm. because you know, like our own lives and identities are always subjected to this kind of, you know, like I think that you feel that it's a kind of impolite question, but I'm like, actually, like white people ask us these kinds of impolite questions all the time. And don't, like <laughs> think about it twice. Sure. You know? So, so it's even, it's, it's interesting to me that you are, you know, like you were still hesitant and asking it, but I think that it's, I think that it's worth asking because I think that when a lot of interracial friendships are on the rocks, that is the first thing that you ask of yourself. Hmm. It's like, oh, like, are you seeing me as a person or was I some sort of like a good checkbox for your like mm. liberal, like cool white person box, you know? So, yeah. Like, I will confess that that is something that I have thought a lot. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, also like, I've never vocalized that to Anne before, hmm. but I like think about it. Yeah. So, I think it's hard to, I, at least for me to ask a question. I wasn't hesitant because I, um, I, I was hesitant because I don't feel that I had figured out how to articulate it well, but not hesitant in the spirit of the question, if that makes sense. I hear you. I just also don't know, like, if there is a better way to articulate it than like, hey, are you being real or is this just some, like, <laughs> fucked up checkbox yeah. thing? Sure. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, 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 because totally. I'm like, because I'm like, because that's, like, the spirit of the, the question. But I, yeah, I am, like, all here for, like, a, you know, I'm like, ask, like, what you really want, not the, like, the correct, like, way to, to say it. Yeah. Sometimes it is, like, a ludicrous question. Yeah. But to, to your question of, like, you know, like, is it, you know, like, are we noticing that it's being perceived differently? I think yes. Like I, um, there was no way that we were going to write this book and not have an entire chapter on race. Like there was just no way right. that it was, that was going to happen. And even as we were writing it, I was already mourning like the future experience. Like I was already dreading the future experience of being misunderstood, mm. you know? Like I was like, oh yeah, every dynamic that I'm writing about here with Anne is also a dynamic that I actually have with a white reader and they don't realize that, mm. you know, mm. like this is this, the same thing is, is happening and it's like the same dynamic that I will have with like a white interviewer down the line. And, you know, like anytime we're asked about these questions, it's always around like, oh yeah, how can white people have more black friends? Or Amina, tell us about the particular pain of like being friends with a white person. Right. Because I like my eyes have been open to racism 17 minutes ago. Right. Please tell me everything. <laughs> and I usually like really resist like even engaging with those questions because 
I really, you know, I was like, first of all, race does not only affect friendship between interracial people. Of course. White friends, like Mm -hmm. only two white friends. I'm like, those two should be interrogating how race is affecting their friendship more than anyone else. Right. I'm like, this is a site of racial politics if I've ever seen one. Um, You know, so like, so there's that. And then there is also just, you know, I think that. And and I like, you know, th- there is just there is so much still to say about it, you know, and how do you just like pack it like tightly and like uh, within a chapter and and feel that you have, you know, you've like you've set the boundary markers like correctly and then everything is there. And also recognizing that, you know, like every like all black people are not like a monolith and all white people are not a monolith. And also all interracial relationships don't involve just white people and black people and blah, 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 blah. You can unspool that thread forever and ever and ever. And so, you know, I I like to reiterate like something that Anne said earlier, like this this book really is like an invitation to a conversation because. I'm like, this is what we are learning and this is what we are doing. And here is how it's been painful. And, you know, we suspect that some of these dynamics are a play with other people, but it is not as clear cut as just like, okay, you know, talk about it and have a drink and keep talking about it. You know, like the, 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 the practice of it is very different than the theory of it. And, you know, and I'm like, and racial dynamics are always at work in, you know, our relationship, the two of us, like there are at work, like while we do a book tour, they're at work, like, you know, in the, in, in the quiet moments of our friendship as well. And, and that is something that, you know, I think we are both like constantly just like grappling with. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's really, really well said. Okay. We're going to shift slightly because we have to talk about like your, both of your writing processes sort of these questions are more just because I'm a voyeur very important I need to know if either of you have writing snacks or beverages or rituals around where you write if you have a candle going if there's anything about like how you're writing I need to know I mean we ate so many snacks writing this book um (sighs) thank you I love a snack (laughs) Every time we went away together um, or kind of really hunkered down for a week of writing, there was a shopping trip um, at the beginning. And um, yes, there was some meal planning. planning. We are very compatible um, kitchen sharers. But like there also always had to be, you know, like when you're staying in a house, so the stuff doesn't really go in the cupboards and there's like a corner of the kitchen counter where you just pile the snacks or whatever (laughs) that, that was very much in effect when we went away to write. So, um, many, many gummy options. I love, uh, popcorn, which I will make with an air popper at home, but we would buy bagged when we went away because practicality, um, usually a chip, um, of some kind, usually what else like we definitely like had some some fruit options usually yeah always like a you know there was always like a low-key like leathery fruit situation Mm. we love a swedish fish um we we love like a nut or a popcorn that is dusted with like a savory situation so like you know like wasabi sriracha like that family is always good um, I think we're like very compatible vegetable people also, Anne. Like, oh, yeah. you know, um, I love parsley. So every meal has to involve parsley. Fresh oh. herbs only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like to your question about other rituals, we also like, um, like we definitely brought some like travel candles and travel incense on this trip. Okay. And it's funny because I never think of them as like, uh, 
you know, like getting ready to write. Mm. It's mostly like, how can I make this environment cozy for my friend? Mm. And now I just, I wonder about this because I was talking to another friend who is a writer and she was telling me that um, her like, you know, like I'm ready to write is she has this one particular candle that she lights and then she like sits at her desk and she's like, this is my writing candle. I'm like, wow, this is, I, I had not thought of that. And, um, you know, and I'm like, who, who knows what that process looks like for me? But there's so much of the rituals around writing this book really revolved around just like making each other comfortable, you know? And, and it's funny because I like, until you asked that, I had not like fully considered that. It's funny that you say that about the candle, because that is fully a solo writing ritual that I have of like, it's not a special candle, but like, I will light something before Hmm. I sit down to write because like, I don't know, just like a small action to take is definitely something that, yeah, I, I will always do. Do you, I do a stretch. Like that's my, like I'm sitting down to write whenever I have a thing to write at home. I'm like, okay, I will, I will clean, like I will clean anything. Like it could be like just the sink or whatever. I just feel like I need to have finished something Mm. and then I do a stretch and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to tackle this. I love this. Part of the reason I love this question is because I have interviewed so many authors and everyone has something different to say from I don't drink or eat or touch anything to like you guys, I have a million and five snacks. I drink this beverage. I do it this. I have it this. So I just am always so curious. I, I love it. I love it. Another question that I also love because I think people forget that even if you're a wonderful writer, you're still you still have flaws. So what is a word that you can never spell correctly on the first try? Oh, I have like a hundred of them. I have sandwich, a million. Ac- Acknowledgement. That's one of mine. Uh, entre- <laughs> entrepreneur. Like, and there were so many words that I remember in the document just leaving for you being like, the red squiggle would take care of this. Like, I don't know how to write this word. Oh my God. Mine is relevant. I can never remember if it's spelled with an A or an E, which like, LOL at my word being relevant. But, um, <laughs> and, and when I'm, ha- when I'm handwriting something, like for some reason, um, I always write with, with an E, like, I, like as if I am an old English, like bar wow. or something. Like, I don't know why my hand wants to do that. But like, if you receive a letter from me, there will often be a scribble at the end of with where I have crossed out the E that I instinctively wrote. That's so funny. I love that, that it's different if you're writing it by hand. That's amazing. Uh, Wow. Who is, oh, this is very relevant to your friendship. You guys became friends through a Gossip Girl watch party. I'm curious, are you the kinds of friends that assign who's the Serena and who's the Blair or no? No, no one is the Serena and the Blair. These people are all like they're like horrible. Need help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm the Serena, so I definitely love you being a Serena. You are so not a Serena. You are so. Mu- I want so much more than that for you. Did well, you have like a scooter accident on Mykonos or whatever she did? Like, I you know, like- I just really liked her fashion style. I mean, I just like wanted to be. I wanted that giant hair, like that giant head of just all this hair. You know, she. I just. I'm really a big fan of Serena, but. I I did go back and rewatch the show during the beginning of COVID. Turns out, didn't really hold up. <laughs> like, I mean, it wasn't holding up as we were watching it. You know, like the show literally is like premised on one person being like a serious yes. sexual abuser. Yeah, you know, and yeah. everyone is like cute teenagers. Um, but at the time, yeah. it was sort of like this is like fun and terrible. And when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, this is just like 
terrible. terrible and the clothes weren't fun anymore like i feel like when i watched it in real time i was like oh like look at their fancy like cool clothes and i was watching it this time thinking like that was cute like i thought that was a good look so i don't know definitely doesn't hold up um i am curious do you guys read alike what do you mean do we read like the same types of books do you or? like to read the same books do you guys do book clubbing type activities with one another like oh you have to read this or anything like that we are not active members of a book club, um, but I will we... never be. <laughs> I meant more between you two. Yeah. So yeah, like, I mean, you'll I, say I, I think love we this. Give each other. We definitely give each other book recommendations. Not as much as I would like, Anne. If I'm honest, <laughs> like if we're really gonna, okay. if we're really gonna air out the cracks in this relationship today on the stacks, um, I, you know, I think. I think it's more of a like a we definitely ask each other a lot what we are reading, but I don't remember the last time that we gave each other a book to read and mm. said like, oh, yeah, like I enjoy this. You should read this, too, like at the same time. So that's a thing. But we send each other books like constantly. So I, I really appreciate that. Like one of my favorite things from is like receiving a book from Anne with like a post-it or a note like inside of it that is the exact part that she knows that I will like mm. I will appreciate. That's awesome. Like That is like. That is like, that's my love language. Exactly like targeted right there. It's like, please read these like 400 pages, but I sent them to you for these two lines. Um, so yeah, but um, yeah, we are, we are constantly reading. I wish we were talking about it more somehow. Uh, yeah. Less interviews, more reading books. More read. Uh, that's my personal motto these days. <laughs> less interviews, more <laughs> reading books. Doesn't quite work out. Um, do you guys, do you remember what you were reading, watching, listening to while you were writing Big Friendships? What sort of things were kind of permeating in your, in your world? I mean, I can tell you that one of our writing retreats was in Vermont and I read like the, this house had like the jackie collins like like hollywood husbands <laughs> hollywood wives like like true trash where i was like okay now that we have completely depleted our brains i am gonna read this for mm. half an hour and then fall asleep like like i don't i don't have anything like deep and wonderful to report in terms of my consumption of other things during um the writing process no you know we um we always say that whenever, you, like when we were writing this book, every book that we read was the best book we had ever read before, <laughs> including like, oh Hollywood God, Husbands. Have, like, yeah. yeah, including Hollywood Husbands. You know, I think that some of some of this too, though, is that like you know, it like these writing periods were so intense that the the thing that made me happy at the end of every day was just like, okay, we just spent like twelve hours together. I can go for a walk alone or I can read this book alone. And, um, you know, like it's like, it's fine not to do something together. Mm. That was actually my favorite. Some of my favorite uh, parts of that process. I remember also in Vermont and when we did that puzzle together, mm. that was like very fun. I was like, yeah, like this puzzle is, it was so hard. It was mm. so, so hard, but it was such a deeply satisfying thing. Um, and we tried watching TV when we were like out of the country once I forget like what, yeah, we like watched a couple movies, mm -hmm. but the, the stuff that I remember really is the, is like the alone, the alone together time, because mm. that is the true, um, oh wow. I really like this person. Mm. We are, we are tired. We are not talking to each other for a couple hours and no one is afraid. This is great. That's yeah. so we took a day off and went to see John Wick three in the theater. Like <laughs> that is really, Oh yeah, that yeah. was, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have, if someone reads big friendship, they love big friendship. What 
is a book or are a few books that you might recommend to them that you think not necessarily on the same topic, but just are in conversation with the work that you've done? Uh, Strong recommendation for a new book called How We Show Up by Mia Birdsong, which feels it is very much in conversation with our book and it feels like it's just kind of pulling the lens out a little bit more where we write a lot about um, dynamics within a friendship. And in her book, it's kind of about how friendships fit into all the other stuff in life and community. And, um, and so that is, it's, it's relatively new and um, we're going to, we're going to have her on uh, call your girlfriend in a couple weeks because it's like such a perfect fit. But um, that's that's a big one that I um, have been recommending. Yeah. Um, also, if you've never read um, Sula by Toni Morrison, that's our uh, book club pick great... right now. Oh, that, perfect. Yeah. I love <laughs> I love to hear that adults, you know, like complicated um, friendships, um, but also like truly, and you know, like Toni Morrison, the best writer um, we have had. So yeah. just read it, read it, read it, read it. So um, good. And that is. Uh, that's that. We also read um, Mama Day, um, recommended by our editor, Ooh. and that was also like great. Um, not like you know, I was like not in conversation with our book, but another um, a book that I will always think about when I think about our writing process. And Gloria Naylor, you know, just like iconic. So yeah, that's those are great recommendations. Okay, I have just two more questions. One is. Do you know what comes next for you as a big friendship as far as will there be another book? Do you have something else in the works coming our way? I know that's sort of a pushy question considering you just birthed this first book, but you know, do people want to know, is there something coming for us soon, either book or not? Well, I, mean, I will confidently say nothing is coming up. Soon. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, here's what I'm confident to report, which is uh, we are taking two full weeks away from the internet and away from talking about ourselves. And um, maybe, maybe after we have taken a series of consecutive naps, um, there will be a different answer to this question. But like right now, the answer yeah. is just like rest. Okay. That's yeah. And you're more than entitled to take all the time and rest because you have been on a million thousand podcasts talking about this book and doing so much great stuff. And the book is so great. So I, I'm always loath to ask that question because I do feel that it's pushy. But then the other part of me is very curious of if there's something coming. I want to know. No, um, it's not pushy. It's not pushy at all. You know, I think we are... Um, it's like prioritizing rest after you make something big, I think should be part of the process. Yes. Um, we, you know, it's, it takes out, it takes a lot out of you to like, to write a book or even just to like verbalize big ideas that you've had. And I think that, you know, part of what I want, part of my creative practice to be is that I do take some serious time between projects and I take time to like, think about like, you know, what else I'm curious about or what else I want to do. And, um, you know, like this, this has been like really, really, really fun. And I'm excited for whatever else we work on in the future, you know, but I right now in the immediate, I am very excited to like have a break. That's so good. It's so good for us to do to take that time. Last one. If you could have any person read this book, who would you want it to be? That is a good question. Wow. I don't know. 
I mean, I think that it's not, it's not a, it's not a name, but I think that like the idea that people who um, are in charge of thinking creatively about policy and about the way that Mm. like, you know, at that level, we encourage relationships like friendship, um, you know, that, uh, that is very exciting to me. Um, So yeah, I guess now that I say that out loud, I'm like, I should just be sending this to politicians offices like right now. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, that's my answer. Talk to me. Let's do, let's make the mailing list when we hang out. Truly. That is a perfect answer. That is a perfect answer. Really good. Well, Aminatu and Anne, thank you so much for being here. Everyone, you can get your copy of Big Friendship wherever you get your books. I'm going to plug again the audiobook. It's very, very good. Maybe you get the audiobook for yourself. You get a hard copy for your big, your big friendships in your life and you pass it out. I don't know. That's up to you, but definitely check out the book. You can also find them on their podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much much for having us. This was a real treat. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see everyone else. We will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening. And of course, a huge thank you to Aminatu and Anne for being our guests. We will be discussing The Undocumented Americans by Carla Cornejo Villavicencio for the Stacks Book Club on September 30th with our guest, Lupita Aquino. Please make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out the website, thestackspodcast.com. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright and our theme music is from Tagiragis. Will Sterling does our production and sound editing. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 